Europe called existentialism, in which scholars and artists explored the meaning and purpose of human existence. Specifically, existentialists sought to understand the human experience of crisis, dread, and anxiety in the face of an absurd world. I read a lot of existentialist philosophy in undergraduate, and for the most part, I found them to be abstract and navel-gazing. The movement tended to involve an excessive contemplation of the self. Little did I know at the time, existentialism is better left to the poets and musicians. We don't need all those long tomes of complex, self-indulgent reflection because we have Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas, who won the Grammy Award for Song of the Year for their tune, What Was I Made For, from the Barbie movie. And it is one of the most brilliant examples of existentialist philosophy that you will ever hear. I used to float. Now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not sure now what I was made for. What was I made for? Taking a drive, I was an ideal. Looked so alive. Turns out I'm not real. Just something you paid for. What was I made for? When did it end? All the enjoyment. I'm sad again. Don't tell my boyfriend. It's not what he's made for. What was I made for? And then the chorus, because I don't know how to feel, but I want to try. I don't know how to feel, but someday I might. Move over, Nietzsche. Take a hike, Camus. Sayonara, Sartre. Eat your heart out, Kierkegaard. The song, What Was I Made For, outpaces all the great philosophers in existential angst and ennui. And our theme this season of Lent is seeking honest questions for a deeper faith, but it's also Women's History Month, and so I felt there was no better way to bring these two seasons together than by turning to an existential question posed by the powerful music of a popular feminist film. What Was I Made For? taps into themes that lie beneath Barbie's plastic pink aesthetic. Questions of identity and belonging, existential crisis, patriarchy, and how women tie themselves into knots trying to fit into gender stereotypes and roles to please other people, and yet never feel like they're enough, never find a sense of identity for themselves distinct from the role that they play with men and children and parents in their lives. Despite the progress that we've made on gender in American society, many people still hold the strange assumption that women should be the primary caregivers for children, sick spouses, and aging parents. 
Over the years, as I've visited with families whose loved ones are sick, I've noticed that nine times out of ten, everyone takes it for granted that the oldest female daughter will be the caregiver of their parents. Additionally, women are still expected to take more time off of work, stay home more often with sick children, and engage in more caregiving than their male counterparts. Our society wants us to believe that women were made for caregiving. But is that what women were made for? No. That's preposterous, and yet the ideology is a result of the way our society is structured. Our society depends on unpaid labor to function which is a fundamental injustice that has existed since the days of plantation slavery. Even after slavery was long abolished, America has consistently relied on the unpaid caregiving labor of women to make everything else work. Some say that America runs on Duncan, but the truth is America runs on women's unpaid labor. Amen? You can clap for that. Even the men can clap for that. Listen, if, if women were not made for men or for caregiving or, or for unpaid labor, then what were they made for? Billy and Barbie and women in America are not alone in asking this profound question. Countless people of all genders and sexualities ask the same existential question all the time. What was I made for? It's a universal question that arises in us when we are struggling through life, trying to get a grasp on who we are, our identity, seeking to understand the purpose for our existence in the world, or simply feeling a sense of despair. In fact, when Billie Eilish accepted an award for this song, she said, I want to dedicate this song to anyone who experiences hopelessness the feeling of existential dread and asking themselves, what's the point? And why am I here? Why am I doing this? She said, I've spent a lot of time feeling that way myself. And she encouraged anyone who feels hopeless to be patient with yourself. Have you ever asked that question? What was I made for? Did you find the answer? In the Bible, when Job loses his children, his possessions, his health, he's inflicted with an illness that causes sores all over his body. The first question he asks is, why was I born? It's almost the exact same question Billie Eilish asked in her song. Why was I born? What was I made for? What Job's story teaches us is that loss and grief and suffering, more than almost anything else, have the power to send us headlong into an existential crisis. The reason people say, don't make any big decisions for a year after you lose someone you love is because losing someone or something that we love almost always causes us to lose ourselves for a little while. Loss changes us. Grief transforms us. And part of our struggle in the wake of loss is that we don't know who we are anymore or who we will become. We find ourselves asking that question, who am I going to be now? What was I made for? Throughout human history, religion 
has presented itself as the answer to this existential question. But we know that religion often becomes another form of oppression imposed on top of, of all the griefs and the losses and the struggles and the sufferings that we are already facing in life. And the scribes and Pharisees in Mark 2 perfectly illustrate how religion can become an oppressive answer to the most critical questions of human existence. In Mark 2, Jesus had three confrontations with the Pharisees and the scribes. We only read about two of those encounters this morning, but all three encounters centered around the issue of food and hunger and religious ritual. First, in the one that we didn't hear, Jesus defended his disciples' right to break bread with social outcasts like Levi, the tax collector who Jesus had called to follow. In the second one, Jesus asserted the disciples' freedom to ignore ritual eating practices like fasting because this form of piety was a luxury for the affluent and a burden on the poor who were already hunger and for whom hunger was a bitter daily reality. And then in the last one, Jesus justified his disciples' right to break the laws against procuring grain on the Sabbath if they found themselves in a situation of hunger which concluded with Jesus saying that famous line, the Sabbath was made for humanity and not humanity for the Sabbath. This conflict between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees, it was not a matter of differing priorities. It was not a matter of different interpretations of the law. They possessed fundamentally opposed theological anthropologies. Let me explain. Two completely divergent views of humanity. Polar opposite answers to the question, what were humans made for? The scribes and Pharisees believed human beings were made for the law. Therefore, obedience was of the first and foremost importance above everything else. In the first century, we must remember that the laws imposed by the scribes and Pharisees were both religious and political. There was no separation of church and state in those days. Everything was political. And Jesus held a radically contrasting anthropology, a different understanding of what it means to be human, a different understanding of humanity. He believed laws were made for humanity, not humanity for the law. In Jesus' view, the laws were made to serve human interests, but humans were not made to serve the law. Therefore, human life and livelihood the necessities of existence, like food, water, shelter, for Jesus always came before the law no matter what the law was. And this concept of humanity threatened the status quo in Galilee and Judea because it disintegrated the scribes and Pharisees' ability to exert power and control over everybody else. Now, if you think that this is just a past phenomenon. If you think that this kind of legislation is a relic of history, you may have missed the new ordinance recently passed by the Charlotte City Council, the one that went into effect this past Friday. On February 12th, for those who missed it, the council voted seven to three 
to give the Charlotte Mecklenburg police the power to criminalize people for behaviors such as panhandling, sleeping in a park, or going to the bathroom outside, among other things, by making them class three misdemeanors, punishable by a fine of up to $500, and incarceration in the case of repeated offenses. As the ACLU stated, not only do these laws criminalize homelessness, but they are also ineffective and a waste of public resources. They violate basic human rights, strip unhoused people of their dignity, and disproportionately impact people of color. Some of our church members attended the meeting to bear witness and to speak against this atrocity of an ordinance. And they told me that the arguments council members made for this ordinance simply refused to acknowledge the impact these laws will have on the poor and the housing insecure and the vulnerable in our community. Instead of addressing the problem of poverty or hunger or housing or, for instance, the lack of public restrooms in our city that would be quite easy to build, our elected leaders chose to prioritize their laws and ordinances over human lives, just like the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus said, if somebody is hungry, you're supposed to feed them. If somebody is houseless, you're supposed to bring them inside. If somebody is sick, you're supposed to take care of them. If somebody is tired, you're supposed to let them rest. If somebody is outcast, you're supposed to welcome them to the table. We're not supposed to create laws and ordinances that make it harder for them to eat or sleep or take care of themselves. That's the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus and his disciples in this story were literally hungry. Remember, they were poor Galileans, subsistent fishermen. And that's how Jesus knew and his disciples knew that the chronic conditions of poverty among people living in Galilee in the first century were the direct result of the religious and political demands of the rulers and their representatives on their lives, which is why he insisted that people's hunger and livelihood take priority over all the law codes, all the religious obligations that supposedly protect the sanctity of the Sabbath or other forms of religious observance and legislation that were being promoted. Jesus believed humanity was not made to serve the law, but the laws should serve humanity. Human beings must always come first and foremost above and before the law. We were not created for rote obedience to the law and all other forms of oppression. We were not created for conformity to the ways of this world. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's been a month. On February 16th, the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that embryos should be considered children, which makes it abundantly clear again that many of our politicians and legislators have no idea what a human being is anymore. You can't freeze a human being for 10 years and then thaw them out and get back to life together. These draconian anti-abortion laws are not made to protect human lives. They are made to control women's lives. Amen? Yeah. 
They are made to reinforce the harmful ideology that women were made for childbearing and should not have the freedom to choose whether or not to engage in this radically invasive and disruptive form of unpaid labor. If only our politicians and legislators had this much passion and concern for Palestinian children who are dying of starvation every day in Gaza as they do for embryos, our world, our world would be a very different place. But they have lost sight of what it means to be human and what human beings were made for. Now, I know what you're wondering. If human beings were not made for religious observances and laws and ordinances and obedience to oppression and conformity to the ways of the world, then what were we made for? The Bible has some answers for us that are far more affirming than the vision we hear from the scribes and the Pharisees. In Genesis, God says rather clearly that humans were not made to be alone, which means we were made for relationship, made for friendship, made for companionship, made for community. We were made for each other. And that is a hopeful truth. Human beings were not made to be independent, self-sufficient individuals who rely on no one else but themselves. We were made to be interdependent of each other for our livelihood and our survival. We were made not just even for coupling together two by two like we're going into the ark. We were not just made for distinct family units that live in single family homes. We were made for community, beloved community, to be more specific. And this means that for us to fully flourish as human beings, we need the gifts and graces of profound relationships that can only develop when we belong to a community together. And in addition to being made for community and relationships, Isaiah 43 proclaims that human beings were made for God's glory and to declare God's praise. Now, as a child, I was worried about this one. I was worried that this meant that God was a grand narcissistic egomaniac who was sitting in the sky around waiting for human beings to sing about how extraordinary God was, waiting to hear about how glorious God's creation is, waiting to hear how wonderful God's works are in history. But the irony, of course, is that a narcissistic egomaniac is not a God who is worthy of our praise, is it? So we need a different understanding, not only of God, but of what glory and praise really mean. And when I think about glory, I always remember what the early church leader, St. Irenaeus, said. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being that is fully alive. We weren't made to sit around all day talking about how incredible God is. No, we glorify God by living our lives to the fullest, by being fully alive. We were made for glory, but what glorifies God is for us to live a full and beautiful life. Because when we live full and beautiful lives, we cannot help but then to express our awe and wonder at the world that God has created and offer praise and gratitude for the life that we've been given simply by living our lives fully alive in community and expressing praise and gratitude for the life that we've been given, we become the glory of God in human history and fulfill the purpose that we were made for. 
Last but certainly not least, the Bible says that human beings were made for love. How do I know? Well, I'm glad you asked. I know we were made for love because I read somewhere that we were made in the image of God. And I read somewhere else later in Scripture that God is love. And so if God is love and we were made in the image of God, then that means we were made for love just like God. We were made to love God. We were made to love ourselves, love our neighbors. God is a creator, a liberator, a protector, a life giver. But more than anything else in all of creation, God is a lover. And that means that love is what we were made for. I want to be careful that you understand when I say that we were made for love, I don't mean that we were made for marriage. Only a few of you left. <laughs> when I say we were made for love, I don't mean we were made for marriage. When I say we were made for love, I don't mean women were made for unpaid caregiving of children, spouses, and aging parents. Love cannot be bound by an easily weaponized institution or forced upon us by the irrational gender expectations of a patriarchal society. Marriage can be both a blessing or a curse. Caregiving can be a calling or a burden. But love must be freely given and deliberately chosen or it isn't love. Let me say that again. I'm not sure you heard me. Love must be freely given and deliberately chosen, or it isn't love. The problem is not that we don't know what human beings were made for. Inside our hearts, we know. We know we were made for community, for relationship. We know we were made for glory, for being fully alive. We know that we were made for love. We know all that, but the problem is there are many voices in our world trying to tell us that we were made for something else. And that's what the work of faith and spirituality is all about. It is about working to discover how to fulfill our purpose for existence by resisting, first and foremost, all the voices that are trying to tell us that we were made for something other than love. You may have heard that you were made for law and ordinances but you were made for love. You may have heard that you were made for obedience and conformity, but you were made for love. You may have heard you were made for patriarchy, but you were made for love. You may have heard you were made for gender normativity, but you were made for love. You may have heard you were made for marriage, but you were made for love. You may have heard that you were made for childbearing, but you were made for love. You may have heard you were made for caregiving, but you were made for love. You may have heard that you were made for labor, but you were made for love. You may have heard you were made for productivity and work, but you were made for love. You may have heard that we human beings were made for obligation, but we were made for love. You may have heard we were made for starvation, but we were made for love. You may have heard we were made for isolation, but we were made for love. You may have heard that we were made for segregation, discrimination, incarceration, devastation, or damnation, but guess what? We were made for love. What were we made for? Amen, that's right. Love. So whenever we find ourselves or anybody else in a situation where they are asking themselves, what was I made for? What was I made for? We know how to answer that question 
for ourselves and for everybody else in the world? The answer is always love, 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 and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Amen.